Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm your host on this episode of Law Talk Radio, brought to you by ProServe Public Relations. Our shows cover law, news, research, and topics that matter to our listeners. Law Talk Radio airs on, on Tuesdays, normally at 6 p.m. Central, but today we're on at 7.30 p.m. Of course, our shows uh, uh, sometimes jump around a little bit based on schedules, uh, so you can always make sure you're finding all of our programming and, li- and links to archives on the Law Talk Radio Facebook page. You can find that uh, under the search tab. Now, today's show is called Roadside Safety Checks and Illinois DUI Law with attorney Sarah Manning. Sarah Manning knows DUI and roadside safety check law, and she assists Principal Attorney Charles Beach with speaking engagements and promotion of the practice related to DUI law. When Sarah isn't busy defending many of the firm's felony cases in Chicago and the suburbs, that is. After graduating from law school, Mrs. Manning began working for Charles Beach. She's been in court pretty much every day since receiving her bar results, and she's also the second vice president of the Women's Criminal Defense Bar Association. She's active on the associate board of the Sergeant Shriver Center on Poverty Law, the National Board for Peace Brigades International USA, and the John Marshall Law School Young Alumni Council. She did receive her JD from John Marshall Law School and her BA in Political Science and Philosophy from Northern Kentucky University. She's licensed to practice law in Illinois, and more information about her firm and practice is available at their website, which is www.duichicago.com. Again, easy website there, duichicago.com. All right, great show for you this afternoon, and our your callers uh, callers are welcome to dial in if you have a question or comment. Of course, our shows are neutral and objective. I uh, want to make that disclaimer. The telephone number to call in, 917-889-9732. Again, 917-889-9732, and option one places you in our caller queue. By way of disclaimer, this is a general information program. The advice shown on the show does not constitute legal advice. Communications with attorneys on our show does not give rise to attorney-client relationships, and pro-serve public relations does not necessarily resolve the opinions expressed by guests. Finally, all callers remain confidential, and rights to this broadcast are reserved. As regarding upcoming events, if you have an upcoming event you want to promote, please let us know. ProServe Public Relations is a full-service business development PR firm focused on law, finance, and small business success. We offer consulting service and uh, service providing uh, in content development, event management, and media relations. Please visit our website for more information. You can find that at www.proservepr.com, which is P-R-O. S-E-R-V-E-P-R dot com. As far as our subject matter for our show tonight, as the holidays approach, law enforcement agencies are stepping up their efforts in enforcement of laws against intoxicated motorists. It's important to remember that buzz driving is drunk driving. In an effort to reduce the number of alcohol-related traffic accidents, many municipalities will set up roadside safety checks this holiday season. This program is designed to give an introduction of what to expect if you find yourself at a roadside safety check, the laws surrounding roadside safety checks, and steps you can take if you're arrested as a result of a roadside safety check. Today we'll talk about proceeding through a roadside safety check and the applicable laws in Illinois, as well as some tips if you are unfortunately arrested this holiday season. So, without further ado, I want to welcome our guest and thank her for her time, Sarah Manning. Thank you, Nick. It's very nice to be on the show. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, um, and I look forward to having a great discussion over the next hour. 
Okay, wonderful. Well, I'm glad to have you on the show, and I'm looking forward to learning more about roadside safety checks. I know that I see them. I live on in Chicago on the north side and see them on Western Avenue by the viaduct every now and then. Sometimes it just looks like a pain, so I'll turn and go somewhere else. But I've also seen them out in the suburbs, particularly in DuPage, um, or originally came from out in Lyle. There's a route on Ogden Avenue. There's a roadside uh, check that dips down. If you're coming from Naperville, headed east, You'd never see it until you were on it. And one time, actually, um, my brother and I, this is when I li still lived out there, my brother and I snuck around behind the Harley-Davidson place and <laughs> watched watched them in the back parking lot processing. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of a sick, guilty pleasure, but we're like, you're nailed, you're nailed. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was crazy. So, anyways, before we dive into this, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, yourself and, um, you know, your practice from law school and how you, you know, went, where did you, did you, how did you want to get into uh, criminal and traffic and how did you get to uh, where you are today, if just to start? Sure. Um, I came to Chicago to go to law school, and I ended up at John Marshall Law School. And after my second year of law school, I obtained a grant that enabled me to go to Texas for the summer and do death penalty defense work uh, with a nonprofit in Houston, Texas called Grace. Um, and that experience kind of solidified for me that I wanted to do criminal law. Um, and when I, you know, started studying for the bar, I still didn't have a job. Um, when I finally passed the bar, I started working with uh, Charles Beach and came to find out that he is the DUI guy in Chicago. Um, anybody that knows anything about DUI law usually learns it from him. He trains judges, he trains prosecutors, he trains public defenders. Um, so it was really a good niche. Um, and I love being in the courtroom, which is where I am every day, um, most every day, all day. Um, so there's days where I have, you know, two trials a day. There's days where I'm doing hearings all day. Uh, it's always very exciting, and I, I really couldn't be happier than where I am right now. Well, I think that uh, opportunity in Texas is uh, that was a tremendous uh, thing for you. Uh, I didn't even know that they had that. Um, that's that sounds really exciting, and uh, I know that the criminal courts are very busy. And I I know myself when I got started, I was an undergrad, and I went I went to Marquette for undergrad. I worked at the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office, and I was a misdemeanor charging captain's assistant, and it was uh, pretty hectic. So I can imagine that your days are, are quite busy. How many trials or, or matters do you step up on or appear on in a day? I'm just curious. Um, it, it depends greatly, but I would say there are definitely some days where I have, you know, 15 to 20 clients at 9 o'clock in the Daily Center, and I'm sprinting from courtroom to courtroom to, you know, make an appearance. Some of those are just set for status, so it's kind of quick in, quick out. Um, but there's definitely days where I have four or five hearings in the morning that are set and then a number in the afternoon. Um, it's just a matter of kind of figuring out who's ready on what, what you're missing on each case. Um, but we definitely have a, a really high-volume practice, um, which is good for me because I prefer to be active. Um, I'm really not a fan of, you know, research and writing. So it's good to be active in the courtroom, um, to be comfortable in the courtroom. Um, and the Daily Center and Traffic Court is really a good place um, to start learning courtroom skills um, and to be able to kind of broaden your horizons in the courtroom. Of course, of course. Now, when we talk about uh, traffic and DUIs and stops now, are we? Are, are, how much of a difference do you draw between Chicago and uh, 
are different, you know, different uh, suburban Cook County locations versus suburbs and collar counties. Um, is your practice primarily focused on things happening in the city, or are we all over the place? I'm primarily in the city, but we do have someone affiliated with our office in all of the courthouses, uh, the suburban courthouses, every day. Um, but it's been our experience that the more often you're in that courthouse and the more relationships you have with the judges and the state's attorneys, the better your experience and inevitably your client's experience is going to be. Um, so I'm pretty much in the Daly Center all day, every day, occasionally at 26th Street, occasionally at you know a, a random branch court. Um, but we have someone else in the Bridgeview Courthouse, someone else in Rolling Meadows, um, someone else in Markham, someone else in Maywood. And then my uh, boss, Charlie Beach, and I split up um, our practice, which is predominantly the Daly Center and 26th Street. Right, right. I can't stress enough to people listening. I know that we have likely a lot of attorneys who uh, listen in here, and, and um, I'm, I'm sure that you are so happy for the referrals. Um, but also, <laughs> we, you know, we, you know, we also attract an audience of of uh, non-attorneys as well. So I can't stress enough that it's important to find counsel who practices heavily in a certain area who knows. Uh, what judges are likely to do, how they're likely to rule, and, the, and you know knows the drill, so to speak. So, um, so let's jump right in. Uh, let's just start with proceeding through a roadside safety check. What happens when we're driving down the street and all of a sudden we see a lot of taillights ahead of us? Sure. Um, generally, like you said, I think Western Avenue is kind of the perfect example of where a roadside safety check is usually set up. Um, and just so people are aware. You can Google and go to different municipalities' um, police department webpage, and usually they will post where they have upcoming roadside safety checks. Um, I did a quick Google search today and didn't see any upcoming, um, but if, if you feel like you're going to be out and that may become an issue, it's worth doing a quick search, you know, even on your phone or something like that. Um, but typically as you approach, there will be cones filtering um, vehicles into one lane of traffic, and then that one lane of traffic will approach what's called the point man at the roadside safety check. And this is a police officer who's basically been told by his superiors that he's supposed to check every fourth car or every fifth car. There's some sort of assignment as to which cars he's going to be checking. So some of the vehicles will just proceed through without even interacting with the point man. Um, having said that, if there's any kind of blatant violation you will be asked to exit the vehicle and you will be questioned. So if you're missing a light, if you're missing a headlight, if um, you know there's something hanging from your rearview mirror, if there you have any kind of other issues on the vehicle, you're you're kind of making yourself a target. So it's important to make sure that you have all of those compliance issues taken care of um, anytime you're driving around during the holiday season because those are kind of red flags to give the officers at least a reason to ask you a couple questions. Um, you know, ask for license and insurance and things like that. Um, so as you reach the point man, you may just be flagged on through if you're lucky. If you're not, they'll ask you for driver's license and insurance. You'll have to tender those documents, so it's important to have those readily accessible. Um, if you can, have them, you know, in the console or somewhere where you can grab them pretty readily and give them to the officer. Uh, and at this point, um, that officer will either wave you through once you give them the proper documentation or ask you to exit the vehicle and hand you off to another officer. Um, and at that point, you should assume that there's an investigation happening, that there's some reason that they want to talk to you further than, you know, just having a minor conversation there. Um, so it's important to be nice, to be cordial, 
to do what the officers ask you to do, but you don't really need to make them your new best friend and tell them where you've been and who you've been with and what you've been doing and all these types of things. At, at this point, they are trying to build a case against you, and you don't need to give them any more information than you've already given them by having a conversation with them. Um, they will probably ask you to do field sobriety tests, which would be, um, you know, walking the line, standing on one leg, um, and those types of tests. You have the right, the absolute right to refuse all of that testing, and you also have the absolute right to refuse taking a breath test. Um, and any good DUI attorney will tell you that you should refuse all of the tests. You just let them know that, you know, you don't want to take the test, you don't feel comfortable taking the test, you want to talk to your lawyer. And at that point, they will probably arrest you. They may lie to you and say that if you do the test, they'll let you go. Um, but it's best to stick, you know, stick to your guns and know that you have the right to refuse those tests and that in the long run, that's the better route to take. Um, if you do refuse the breast test, there will be a longer suspension of your license based on the fact that you refused the breast test. But if you call a knowledgeable DUI attorney shortly after being released from custody and you haven't done any of the tests, um, there's a high probability that they will be able to beat that suspension in court. Um, so even though it, it may be scarier not to take the test because you know the suspension is going to be one year instead of six months, it's definitely worthwhile to avoid taking all of the tests, make sure you hire the best DUI attorney you can, and they'll be able to work with that a lot more than if you take all the tests um, and you know just basically give, them, give the police all the information they need um, to arrest you and then possibly convict you. Sarah, I have a question about the the posting when you said that these were posted ahead of time. Are there any rules? I, I remember vaguely about these stops in law school. I remember learning something about that there, there are certain uh, rules and restrictions on how they do this and that it has to be for a safety purpose and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it, what about you know when they're posting these things on different sites, are they doing that uh, as a customer service or uh, are they required to do that? The, the law does require that there be some sort of publicity element to a roadside safety check. Um, there has been an opinion in the First District Appellate Court um, that found that a roadblock was essentially illegal because there wasn't advanced publicity. Um, and in that case, the only information that was available to public was on the Chicago Police Department website. And they didn't show that there, you know, what the accessibility to the website was how many people have visited the website, whether or not people typically get information from that website, or whether or not it was, you know, findable on a Google search or a Yahoo search or something like that. Um, so publicity is an important element. Having said that, the likelihood of winning a DUI case where there's a roadside safety check is it's more likely you can beat the case if the person doesn't do any of the tests and they basically, you know, do what you want, do what your de the defense attorney wants, which is to not do any tests, to really not have too much interaction with the cops above and beyond what's absolutely necessary. Whereas challenging the constitutionality of the roadblock itself is a much more difficult way of trying to beat the case. So when you are proceeding through, you can make a mental note, you know, is, is the point man asking every third car to roll down their window? Is he asking every car? Is he just randomly picking cars? Because those can be issues that can be brought out when the DUI case actually gets into court. Um, but the likelihood of success on those issues is much smaller than if um, you basically do what I just said, which is avoid all the tests and things like that in order to win the case. Mm -hmm. 
Very good. Good to know. Um, good advice. Now, my next question, after we're going to pause for the first break, and I'm going to read uh, a little bit about upcoming event where you and Charlie are going to be speakers, um, and I'll ask you to tell me a little bit about that as well after I read that. But my next question uh, for you after the break is what happens when you know, we have so many people here in Chicago, especially in the city, who are here for school or, or you know different purposes who may still be residents of other states and the the question you know all states are different if you are um you know let's say you're a michigan or uh, iowa or wisconsin or indiana resident how how may the refusal affect you in other states and what should uh, what should people know so that's my question for you after the break but i want to take sure. a pause now and um talk about this upcoming event this is a cba event it is a four and a half mcle four and a half credit mcle it's called courtroom cross skills on summary suspension training and a little bit about it the training is legal knowledge plus skills training course will begin with three hours of intensive DUI summary suspension information and skills training by expert faculty including five live demonstrations of cross-examination the undisputed masters of Cook County's courtrooms will provide an overview of the cross-examination followed by a mock trial skills workshop now during this mock skills training faculty will demonstrate cross skills and allow you to practice these skills while critiquing your performance then after a short dinner break you'll learn how to sharpen your new cross skills through hands-on small group cross-examination workshops before a circuit court uh, of Cook County judges in small group cross-examination workshop you'll be on your feet crossing Chicago police officers in a mock trial setting. Judges will rule on your performance and offer suggestions for improvement. I'll tell you more about this, uh, more information about this in the other breaks, but it sounds like a really good event. We'll ask Sarah to talk a little bit about it because she's one of the presenters. Um, but before we get back to Sarah, I want to remind our listeners out there that if you ever have a guest suggestion for a Law Talk radio broadcast, please let us know by dropping a note on our website, proservepr.com, through the contact portal, or go to the Facebook page for ProServe, or uh, simply search in Facebook for Law Talk radio and you can uh, reach us there too um so going back to our show sarah can you tell us a little bit more this event sounds so much fun i want to do this um it really is a great event and there are so many i think lawyers who go to law school to be in a courtroom and then inevitably don't end up in a courtroom for whatever reason and it's really a great way you get the cle credit while you're doing the training which is great and then from there you can come and basically, because the Public Defender's Office has limited resources, and the summary suspension on a DUI, which is that six-month or one-year suspension that I talked about, um, because that's a civil matter of whether or not you can get your license back, the Public Defender's Office is not allowed to represent people on that in court. So basically, this program hooks up attorneys who would like to get back in the courtroom and enables them to represent public defender clients or people who can't afford um, a private attorney and allows them to do a hearing at the Daily Center where they're cross-examining police officers, they're objecting, all these things that they've always wanted to do in a courtroom and for whatever reason don't get to do. Um, and it's a really helpful resource for public defender clients because otherwise they really have no way of challenging that suspension. And for a lot of these people, it, their livelihood depends on whether or not they can drive. So if they have a six-month suspension or a one-year suspension and no one can help them with the legal issues surrounding that that would enable them to challenge that suspension, um, they really end up having a very difficult time. Um, so it's a great way for attorneys to interact with the public, to do a public service. They get the CLE that they want. 
Um, and it, it's, I mean, it's fun to cross-examine people. It it just is. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. My family accuses me of doing it to them all the time. I'm just like, no, I'm just asking questions. I'm not, I'm not trying to lawyer you. I mean, I'm like, I don't even practice law. I practice public relations. I'm a nice guy. Leave me alone, you know. All right. So back to our back to roadside safety checks. Um, what have what What are some considerations from some of our uh, residents of the city of Chicago who happen to be um, well, actually, are, are permanent residents of other states and hold driver's license from other locations? Right. Um, it, it depends on the state, to be honest. Um, there's a thing called the interstate compact that kind of determines which states are going to report certain traffic violations um, from other states. Um, so a lot of that depends on which state you're from. But typically what will happen is that the state of Illinois will assign you a, an Illinois driver's license number once you receive traffic tickets in Illinois. So the Secretary of State will give you a license number even though you've never been licensed here. And then from there, they will suspend that driver's license number. So it's been my experience that typically if people from out of state hire an attorney quickly enough after they've been arrested and that attorney knows what they're doing and files a challenge to the suspension even way before the first court date, right after the person gets arrested, usually the Secretary of State can't get the paperwork in order quickly enough meaning that they can't assign the number, suspend the number, and do all these things that they need to do in order for the the suspension to hit and there to be a hearing by the time that they, the state's attorney has already run their um, term on the case. Basically, from the day that you file a challenge to the suspension, which if you hired me would be the day after I talk to you, as soon as I get your paperwork, the state's attorney has 30 days of the first court date in order to give you a hearing. And if that suspension has not shown up on your driving record yet, there's no issue to go forward on at the hearing, and it's not your fault, it's their fault. So basically, if they, could, if they blow that 30 days or they get past the first court date without being able to give you a hearing because there's no suspension yet, you can automatically get your license back based on the case law. Um, so again, the, the, really the most important thing is to hire an attorney as soon as you are arrested um, so that they can start filing challenges to the suspension and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the questions that people are always going to have is, uh, okay, I need to hire a lawyer for this. Um, you know, I'm not asking you to uh, really talk about prices, but um, how expensive or not expensive, or um, you know, are there other? Is there a variety of of what's involved? Um, there There's a variety of what's involved, and it, a lot of it depends on what you want to do with the case. We, we have a number of clients who come in; they basically want the case over with as soon as possible. They live in Chicago. They take public transportation typically. They don't really care about the suspension of their license. They just want to be done with it. And obviously yeah. that's a case that's going to be a lot easier for us, and that would be a case where your fee is going to be significantly lower. So when you are hiring an attorney, it's important to ask them even such simple questions as, do you do hearings? Do you know how to challenge my suspension? Do you ever do trials? How often do you do trials? Do you have an office that you actually use, or do you just hang out in the courthouse randomly picking up clients? Those are questions that I think people don't think that they need to ask because they talk to a lawyer and they think that that means something. But it's important to kind of cover all your bases and make sure that you have the same expectations that the attorney does about what's going to happen with the case. You know, I have a lot of experiences where I quote a fee to someone and they claim that another attorney is going to do the same thing for 10, you know, 10% of what I quoted them. And usually that's just not the case. 
Um, you know, in order to fight a case, it, it can be expensive. Um, a lot of that depends on your background. It depends on whether or not you took a breath test. Um, there's a couple, you know, a lot of different factors that determine what the fee would be. Um, but it's important just to ask those, even those basic questions about, you know, how often do you get people's license back? How often are you in the courthouse? You know, what's your relationship like with the state's attorney and things like that? Right, right. Are you just doing is this? You just adding this as a practice area because you're also a family law attorney and a this attorney and a that attorney. You know, right. Not that people can't be a generalist, but um, you know when it, I statutory anything that's statutory has so many uh, things that are just you just know it by experience and just like you were talking about having knowing when to. Um, knowing when to file certain things and challenges to a statutory summary. Suspension uh, is so important, and it would be really scary to find someone who didn't know that. What happens if you have um, – well, anyways, let's, we could get back to good or bad lawyers all day long, but let's get back to roadside safety checks. And um, you should, we should listen to our ARDC shows. We have uh, uh, Melissa Smart. Melissa Smart is a, also a John Marshall uh, alumnus who is uh, at the ARDC, and she likes to hop on and, and tell us how not to uh, how not to get in, in deep trouble. So, anyways, all right. Yeah. So we have our we talked about our point, man. Um, anything else you want to talk about uh, at the initial roadside check? You know, you covered a lot of you know, don't be rude. Um, you know, you don't need to be their best friend, and you know, pay attention and. Um, you know, I always say, say uh, have your you know driver's license and your information ready. You know, don't have that buried. Uh, you know, how many times if you look at the glove right. box, can you readily find these and uh, these things? So, any other points you want to cover about uh, at our roadside safety check? Um, I think the main thing would be to make sure you know when you're getting in your vehicle to go out for the night, to just make sure that all of your there's no equipment violations because you know that's basically just an invitation for the police to start asking you questions. And as soon as they have face-to-face -face contact with you, a lot, especially at a roadside safety check where they're doing DUI enforcement, that's what they're looking for. As soon as they have, they have a reason to have face-to-face -face contact with you, they suddenly are seeing red bloodshot eyes, they're hearing slurred speech, you're having difficulty getting out of the vehicle. And whether or not, you know, that may be a matter of opinion, at that point, you gave them a reason to already have the conversation with you. Whereas if all of your equipment is perfectly fine and you're not the fifth car, you may be waved right on through the roadside safety check without any problem. Mm -hmm. um, you avoid uh, windows up or down, look at them, don't look at them. I think um, I've... I've no, I mean, none of that. Just try to act as natural as possible, even though most people are very nervous going through them. Yeah, because people are nervous because, you know... It's a, it's a nervous thing when you're – if you don't normally encounter law enforcement and now you have law enforcement, there's lights all over the place, you know. Um, right. Yeah, it's, it's a very scary, scary time. All right, so um, moving forward with some of the laws related to uh, safety checks, what would you like to tell us? Um, just basically, you know, what we talked about earlier, and the state of the law in Illinois is that, you know, basically roadside safety checks, the Supreme Court has realized that, it is a bit of an intrusion on regular motorists, but they've decided that the state has the states have a compelling interest in reducing alcohol-related accidents, and that outweighs the intrusion that they're subjecting motorists to. So there's certain factors, um, you know, that determine whether or not a roadblock is constitutional, and mm. those four factors are the presence of procedural guidelines, meaning that the police department that's doing the roadblock has certain guidelines that have been outlined somewhere, certain procedures 
for how they're going to administer the roadside safety check, including which vehicle are they going to stop. Um, if they, in the middle of the roadside safety check, they change from the third vehicle to the fifth vehicle, why did they do that? And who was in charge of making that decision? Um, which goes into the, the second factor, which is um, the absence of discretion in individual field officers, meaning that the point man who's standing there isn't just deciding that he's bored and he now wants to check every other vehicle or every vehicle. It needs to come from somewhere higher up. There needs to be some sort of supervisor who's not directly involved with the roadside safety check who's making the decisions about any changes that may happen after these initial procedures have been followed. Um, there also needs to be some indication of the public of the official nature of the operation. So, you know, the orange cones that are filtering traffic into one lane. A lot of times there will be a sign that says, you know, DUI checkpoint or roadside safety check. Sometimes there is no sign. Sometimes it's just an arrow directing you. Um, but usually you can tell as you're approaching that there's some police presence. There's usually what they call the Batmobile, which is like a trailer where they do all the breath testing. Um, so it's usually pretty clear as you go through that it's an official thing. Um, and then the last factor is that the selection of the actual site is by a supervisory personnel. So it's not just the policeman in the district deciding that a certain block has been aggravating them lately and they want to set up a roadside safety check there. It needs to be from somewhere higher up, and there needs to be a certain protocol for why they put the roadside safety checks where they do um, to avoid, you know, targeting people or certain groups and things like that. Mm -hmm. Now, as you're approaching uh, one of these, again, I've seen people, um, that, that one on Western, just asked after you go by Lane Tech, I've seen people do U-turns and go around. To, you know, it's a, so it looks like traffic because you don't always know whether it's a stalled vehicle uh, or something like right. that. What, is, what does the law have to say about that? Or what, what well, does experience say about that? Yeah, I mean, usually the they have other police personnel who are looking exactly for that, which is people pulling out of the line and trying to take an alternate route. And usually those people will be picked up at some point later on. Um, I had a case recently where the guy honestly thought that it was traffic backed up. He didn't want to deal with the traffic, so he went to make a left-hand turn and was immediately pulled over. Um, so there's definitely an argument to be made um, especially where your client could take the stand either at the summary suspension hearing or at the trial itself and indicate that, you know, they didn't, there was no kind of DUI checkpoint sign. All it was was cones. Um, in this particular case, there had recently been a lot of construction in that area. So he thought that it was just the same construction that he'd seen before, so he tried to avoid it, um, which isn't unreasonable. So once you can show that the person wasn't acting unreasonably, um, you know, then you can make a case. The problem becomes that once you avoid the roadside safety check, again, you're giving the officer a reason to pull you over, which is what the state of the law is right now. And then once you're pulled over, you know, they're going to make certain observations, especially where they think you're avoiding a roadside, a DUI checkpoint. Um, so there's an argument to be made, but it's probably better to fault on the side of just going through the roadside safety check rather than avoiding it, if you know that's what it is. Good advice, good advice. We're going to pause for our second break. We're going to talk a little bit more about this event, and then we're going to come back to um, the issue of, you know, well, actually what happens after, you know, if you are arrested. We talked a little bit about this before, but um, a whole uh, list of um, uh, things that we should talk about uh, for the rest of our show here. Again, uh, for the courtroom cross-skills 
It's courtroom cross skills summary suspension training is the event that we're talking about tonight, and it's a Chicago Bar Association MCLE 4.5 credits uh, of CLE, and a little bit more about it. After the initial training, the CBA College of Trial Advocacy will assign interested course to pro bono cases. Now, volunteers will represent a person without legal representation, as Sarah has talked about a little, uh, who has petitioned the court for the rescission of the statutory summary suspension of their driver's license in Cook County. The state automatically suspends the driver's license in certain DUI cases, and for example, if the petitioner refused to take the breathalyzer uh, examination of the results, where the results were in excess of the appropriate legal limits, the state will suspend the petitioner's driver's license for six months. So persons charged with DUIs may beat the DUI charges, but still may lose their license because they weren't uh, because they are not entitled to public defender representation of this uh, for the civil matter, as Sarah pointed out before. So again, so much. It's, it's what a good, um, really good event here. And I will tell you that uh, it's there are links to this event on our Law Talk Radio page that we posted this afternoon. Um, and also, you can register for the event. There's an email. It's seminars, S-E-M-I-N-A-R-S, at chicagobar.org. And uh, the registrations must be received three hours prior to the start of the event. And cancellations within 24 hours, et cetera. And um, I'm looking for the price. And here I had it over in this other sheet. Sorry about that. Um, the prices range from early to late registration between CBA members, non-CBA members. So everything from thirty dollars um, up to two hundred and forty dollars if you're a non-CBA member. So um, really a great event and, and a good. Uh, I'm sure it's on the website. Um, Sarah, anything else that you didn't cover before you want to tell us about this event? Um, I would just point out that once you do the the training at this event then you're afforded, you know, an unlimited number of opportunities subsequent to that to represent people in court. So you do the training one time and you could, you know, if you're interested in doing cases on a pretty regular basis, um, you'll be sent an email from the CBA indicating that people are interested in representation. You can either take it or leave it, um, but you'll have continuous opportunities to get back in the courtroom once you do the training. Now, these are, those are paid cases, right, or are those not? No, those are all—they're all pro bono. Okay. Well, I mean, that's which I think is a great thing because let's face it: if you are out there and um, let's say you're a young attorney and you have not found a job yet, or you're just working as a contract lawyer somewhere, you want—you don't want to lose those skills and you want to be in court. So you never know who you're going to run into. You may just hit off with somebody else in court. And says, "Hey, you know, I need an associate." I mean, that happens all the time. Yeah, I, I really—I talk to a lot of recent graduates who don't have jobs. Yet, and I have I really pushed this um, program to them because it's just the value of being around other lawyers and being in a courtroom and still feeling like a lawyer, even if you're not doing exactly what you want to do at that moment. Um, I think is it's really valuable. I think. Sure, sure, sure. All right. Well, let's get back to our program. We'll uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this event in our last break. I'll ask you a little bit about some of the people who are going to be presenting, including yourself. Um, uh, so, but back to our, our program, talking about now what happens if you are arrested for DUI. Right. So, if if unfortunately you get to the point where you're asked to exit the vehicle, you're asked to take the field sobriety test. You refuse to take the field sobriety test, like a good defendant would. You're then going to be taken into what's called the Batmobile, which is the, where they do the breath tests, it's like a trailer. You're going to be, you're supposed to be read the warnings that talk to you about the length of your suspension and what's going to happen with your license based on this DUI arrest. 
and then you'll be offered the breath test. You will then refuse that test. Um, the officer may try to convince you that you might pass, and if you pass, then your license won't get suspended and things like this. Always refuse that test. Always, always, always. Um, unless you have not had anything to drink in maybe 30 days, but even then I would probably still refuse the test. Um, and at that point, you will then probably be transported either with other people, because there will be other people in the Batmobile with you. Um, you'll either be transported with them or on your own back to a police station where you'll then be processed. Um, you'll probably be in custody for a number of hours. You may be interviewed, um, so they'll read you your Miranda rights, and then they'll ask you, have you been drinking? Where were you coming from? Where were you going to? You should also refuse all of those tests, all of those questions. Um, they'll ask if you consent to questioning, and you, were gonna, you will say, no, I'd like to call a lawyer. At some point, you'll then be released from custody. And at least at our office, our phones are answered 24 hours a day, and I would much rather someone call me as soon as they get out of custody or as soon as they wake up the next morning. Um, because as soon as we can, you know, talk to them a little bit about the situation, generally people don't really feel comfortable hiring the first attorney that they talk to. They want to call around for a little bit. So especially if you're going to do any kind of shopping for an attorney, you want to make sure that you start that immediately after being released from custody. Um, as soon as someone calls our office, we either have them come in for an appointment immediately, or if they can't come in for an appointment, we try to at least get a look at their paperwork. So we have them fax it or email it into us. And then from that paperwork, we can file the challenge to the suspension. Um, and we can also send out any subpoenas that might be necessary for the case. And also just get kind of an idea of what they want to do with the case. Even simple things like which officer arrested them, um, how they filled out a number of those basic reports, the tickets, the notice of the summary suspension, that can give us a lot of information about what the case is going to look like um, going forward. It doesn't give us all the information we need, but it does give us a lot, which is helpful. Um, because otherwise, we won't get most of that documentation until the first court date. And if we filed the petition to challenge the suspension prior to that, we'll be set for a hearing on the first court date. Um, and because I'm in the courthouse every day, I can look at the discovery on that court date and still be able to do a hearing in most cases. Um, but you don't want to be too blindsided in terms of what's going to be coming at you on the first court date. You want to try to get as much information as possible ahead of time. Um, any good attorney, when you hire them, will file the challenge to this, the suspension. They'll send out subpoenas. Um, if it's a roadside safety check, they should send out subpoenas about the procedures that were filed. Um, that were followed, sorry, um, you know, how the publicity was obtained for the roadblock, whether or not there was anything in the newspapers, um, how many arrests were made, any kind of statistics that come out of the roadblock, um, who funded the roadblock, all of these things that, as I said before, challenging the constitutionality of the roadblock is probably not your best bet for beating the case, but you at least want to gather all that information together so that you can determine whether or not that is a possibility for winning the case. Um, so from there, you know, I don't want to get into too many specifics because there's, a, you know, a million different ways that a DUI can happen or people have a lot of different experiences. Um, but that's kind of the basics. So really the main thing is to hire an attorney as soon as possible after you're released from custody. Since we're on the, the topic of hiring an attorney, um, I want to give out your website again. It's DUIChicago.com. Well, do you have a, an easy-to-remember phone number there? Uh, yeah, 312. 739-0500. Seven, three, what is it? 739-0500. Zero, zero. 
All right. Now, here's another question. Um, funding, that really, you kind of caught my attention there, who funded the roadblock. First thing that I thought about when you said that is Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and the lobby has uh, funded, and, and really they've funded uh, lobbyists who have really influenced DUI laws uh, in, in this country much, much, much in the last, uh, since the 80s and beyond. Can they, who, who can fund uh, one of these roadside safety checks? Um, I don't know if there's a limit to who can fund it, but usually it is groups like Mothers Against Drunk Driving. There's also uh -huh. state, Illinois, Illinois State Police usually fund the roadblock, but they don't run the roadblock. So they will get, there will be state or federal money that is directed towards um, municipalities, police departments, so that they can run the roadblock. Um, and, again, it, it may not be an issue, but it may just be something interesting that it's worth looking at and subpoenaing that kind of information because it's all public record uh, to yeah. find out who is behind the roadblock, you know, where the funding came from. I think it could be important. Yeah, well, I, it seems that's a scary thing. I always say follow the trail of the money and influence and what's going on. And that's, you know, I can see um, – I can see, I can see both sides of that argument. So um, right. <laughs> here's another question: when we're, what, what are they looking for primarily? Because I, you know, d people who have had too much to drink and are driving is one thing. People who are uh, abusing illegal narcotics is another. And then there are people who are on prescription, um, you know, pills and narcotics. And I always joke about driving it. Anyone who has ever driven through uh, the town of Hinsdale, um, they actually had to put up barricades because um, people who were on too many, you know, moms on too many meds were crashing Range Rovers into buildings. I mean, I'm not even kidding. Um, um, what are they really... What are your that's thoughts on all that? That's a really good question because even since I started um, at my firm, which was I took the bar in 2007, so four years ago, the increase in the number of drug-related DUIs has gone up. I don't know the I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, um, but it, it's gone up significantly. Um, and there's a couple different sections of the DUI statute that deal with drug DUIs. One deals with a combination of alcohol and drugs. One deals with um, drugs explicitly, and the other deals with um, a different type of drug. So it's very common. And I could say, I would say at least two to three cases that I have a week deal with a roadside safety check where an offender, and I, I will say this out loud, typically a black male, goes through the roadside safety check and there's an odor of cannabis. And based on that odor of cannabis, without an admission, without any kind of retrieval of any type of narcotic, without any field sobriety tests, because those have to do with alcohol consumption, without a breath test, because that has to deal with alcohol consumption, they're then hit with a DUI charge based on what is an odor of cannabis. Well, an odor um, so of it, cannabis could be in a container. It, I, it's it, And I think that it's a way for... Well, I won't go into what I think it's a way for people to do, but it it's extremely common. Um, and the the state of the law right now, the section of that of the, the DUI statute is the A. It's basically the A6 statute is kind of how we refer to it. And basically, it says that any amount of drug in the person's system um, is enough for a DUI. So the way that the state's attorneys argue it is that it's basically a strict liability. That even if you you know smoked weed 
three weeks ago, it's still in your system and you're still guilty of a DUI, regardless of any of the testing or anything like that. Um, the way that we argue it is that because it has the same language as the section of the statute dealing with a breath test, that it, it, because it says in, it means that there needs to be some kind of chemical test. There needs to be a blood test or a urine test or something to show that it's physically in your system. It can't be just an odor of alcohol alone or an odor of cannabis alone. Um, and to be honest, the state of the law right now in those cases is really not clear. And, you know, there will be one day at the Daily Center that I will have someone found guilty with just an odor of cannabis, and the next day they'll be found not guilty. Um, and it, it's really just a bit of a mess right now in terms of DUI defense work um, because the cases that have been coming down from the appellate court have not made it clear as to how the statute is supposed to be interpreted. Uh, well, it just—it seems like again, again, there you have a lot of officer discretion there, and you know, some three weeks. I mean, what if you know, and what if you have, what if it's grandma, and grandma has a prescription for you know, whatever, you know, and grandma's right. visiting from Colorado. And uh, grandma knows that uh, you're not allowed to, you know, maybe that her prescription doesn't uh, hold water here. So, but, you know, two weeks ago, she used medical marijuana you know, very quite legally in her privacy of her home, didn't drive. And now it's a week later and grandma drives here. And, um, you know, maybe there's a, a, something in her car, you know, that's that gives off. I just, it seems like a whole bunch of problems. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. tend to agree with that. Yeah, it's very just very unclear, and it's very easy to, you know, someone pulls through with a license and insurance, and there's really no reason to have them get out of the vehicle other than someone smells cannabis. It could be on their coat. It could be from a passenger. It could right. be, I mean, it could be any number of things. Um, so those cases are becoming more and more problematic and it's difficult to kind of teach the judges exactly, you know, what they should be doing in those cases. Right, right. Well, especially when also we're in a downed economy. I've seen increased police activity in the city and in the suburbs, and um, I and I will I suggest that it, it, this is a revenue generator for for many people. Um, oh, yeah. Especially in a, especially a lot of the suburbs. I, I took um, I went out to DuPage a couple of weeks ago, and I took Irving Park the whole way out from the city, and drove through in the morning through Schiller Park and um, Bensonville, it was every other car was pulled over. It was 9 in the morning. It was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But guess, and guess what? All minorities pulled over. You know, oh, there's a shock. Right. Uh, well, and, you, and you also have to put it in perspective that, um, you know, even if you get arrested for the DUI, you beat the DUI, you hire a good attorney, you beat the suspension, you still had to pay, now in the city of Chicago, $2,000 to get your car out of the pound. And most likely you're not going to get any of that money back. Not to mention whatever you paid an attorney to fight the suspension, to fight, um, you know, the DUI itself. It's just it's just an uphill battle. And I'm not, you know, condoning people either using drugs or drinking and driving. You should always take a cab when you can or public transportation. Um, but I do think that it, because it's a a charge that's largely based on a police officer's opinion about what's going on. I think that it leads, it lends itself to be a, a bit more exploited than maybe other charges. Mm-hmm. $2,000 to get your car back. And here I thought that the uh, the booting and towing is bad. I mean, that's... That's, that's, that's if you get it out that day. 
from there, the yeah. charges just keep going up. I've had so many clients who their the fees were up to $10,000 within a couple of weeks, and they couldn't come up with the money, and they just lost the car. Yeah, forfeit the car, and then the car goes to uh, the chop shop on the south side and is sold for parts. Mm-hmm. And um, so it gets its revenue. So let's pause and talk about uh, your the wonderful CBA event again. Again, the event's titled Courtroom Cross Skills Training, Summary Suspension Training. And um, could you, Sarah, tell us a little bit about uh, the faculty here? I see um, your boss is there. Do you know any of the other people presenting? Um, I do. I I see all three of them in court on a regular basis. I don't know too much about each of their practices. Um, I George Levis um, is at the Daily Center pretty regularly, and I think he's also out in Skokie and Waukegan on a regular basis. And he has been um, the chair of the CBA Traffic Law Committee previously, um, kind of between my boss, Charles Beach, and himself. They kind of go back and forth with who is the chair. Um, so he's presented at this for a number of years previously. Um, Bill Luby is actually a really good friend of mine. He, um, I think he's usually in Skokie. He has his own practice, though, that's usually in the suburbs. Um, and he's been doing this. Um, he worked for his dad right when he got out of law school. So he's been doing criminal defense and um, a lot of DUIs um, ever since he got out of law school. And Sarah Tony is a member of the Women's Criminal Defense Bar Association um, with me. She also runs a very good practice, um, mainly downtown, I think. Um, she's also, I think, in the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers and I think the Illinois Associ- Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. Um, so they're all really good attorneys, always in the courtroom. I've seen all of them fight cases on a regular basis. Um, so they really know what they're doing. and. They're all really fun. So, um, you know, between them teaching and uh, doing the mock kind of cross-examination things, it, it should be a really good time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing I note here from their advertisement is that you get seminar materials, and uh, materials for all the seminars are available on download or print under the CLE tab, and you must have registered for the event and logged into the website to access these materials. Hard copies of the materials will be available at the seminars if they're pre-ordered for an additional cost of 20 to $5 per seminar. So, um, so many great things coming out of the CBA and so many great CLEs. Um, you know, CLE was not required when I was in law school. I graduated in 2002, and it was optional. So none of us really had heard of CLEs. I mean, other states you had to, but we didn't have to do them. But <laughs> now you do. All right. right. All right. Back to our show. We got about ten minutes left. I have a couple questions. Um, I, first, I want to ask you about the Drunk Buster program. But first, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, installation of the breath test device? When is that on a first? I heard that's on a. Is that a first offense now, or is that? Uh, oh, and can you clarify the difference between a first suspe- first first conviction versus? Um, Sure. Uh, suspension or not the, suspension? Um, Supervision. Sorry. Yes. When so when I started practicing, when someone was a what's described as a first offender by the Secretary of State, which means that you have not had a DUI in the past five years, they were eligible for a judicial driving permit. And basically, a judge could sign an order indicating that that person could drive to and from work. It would have details of where they needed to drive, what times they needed to drive. Um, and that could be a form of driving relief if they did not win um, the statutory summary suspension hearing. They did away with that program, and you can no longer get a judicial driving permit. The only form of relief for driving for a first offender in the state of Illinois now 
is to have a breathalyzer installed in your vehicle. So any first offender is eligible, whether you take the breath test or you don't take the breath test. Um, and basically, initially when they started the program, they tried to do it through the court system, but it, it became too cumbersome, or for whatever reason, they now shifted it to the Secretary of State. So when a person is arrested for a DUI, at some point they'll receive a notice that tells them the date that the suspension is going to begin. Along with that paperwork now, they also get information of how to apply for the, it's called the MDDP. Um, it's, so it's the Monitoring Device Driving Permit. And basically they fill out the paperwork, they send it into the Secretary of State. The Secretary of State then sends them back information um, indicating that they are eligible, that this is what they need to do in order to get the device installed. And then they also have to send a check to the Secretary of State for the fees, um, that they, the monthly fees that they have to pay, and they have to pay all those up front. Mm. Once they send the check to the Secretary of State, Secretary of State then sends them another letter that gives them authorization to drive one time and one time only to have the MDDP installed in their vehicle and tells them the different vendors. Um, so one, it's a, it's a very expensive process to have it installed, to have it removed, to pay the monthly fees to the Secretary of State. The other issue is that even if you're eligible for that driving relief, there's still what's called a 30-day hard suspension. So even if you're a first offender, if you don't win your license back at the summary suspension hearing, you're going to have to sit out your suspension for 30 days, mm -hmm. um, which at that point, if you have a six-month suspension and you have to sit out 30 days of it anyway, it becomes a cost-benefit analysis of whether or not it's even worth getting it installed for the five months, you know, just to have it removed again and things like that. Um, sure. So to be honest, we have very few clients that end up going down that road. Right. Um, and maybe it's because our practice is predominantly in the city. Um, right. But in my experience, people find that it, it's just not worth it. And I tend right. to agree with them. Well, I mean, it, it, it really does, it does depend whether you're, you know, whether you're driving in the city or whether you're in suburbs. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I work, my offices are in Chicago and Naperville, so I go back and forth, and um, I'll tell you, I am real, real cautious, especially after some of the, you know, the DuPage Young Lawyer uh, happy hours. I mean, they're great events, but, you you know, you have to really watch it because, um, for those of us who drive in the city primarily, and you know, thank goodness, so many of these events are located um, somewhere. There's a train nearby, so I always tell, always take a train, and I always bring my laptop with me. I'm, I'm kind of a dork though because I'm always working. So <laughs> take the train; it's not a problem. So, all right, tell us about the drunk busters. Um, so the Alliance Against Intoxicated Motorists, or they go by AIM, is kind of their shorthand, and they have representatives. Um, at least at the Daily Center, pretty much every day. And basically, they're just courtroom observers. So they're taking notes and keeping statistics on how many people are convicted of DUI, what's happening with first offenders, what's happening with second offenders, how many people are getting their license back on a DUI, um, and things like that. Um, they also do a lot of advocacy, advocacy similar to MAD um, and other organizations like that. So they have a program called Drunk Busters. And basically, they pay $100 to tipsters who call their hotline and report erratic driving. And if that erratic driving leads to a DUI arrest, the tipster is then rewarded with $100. So beyond the fact that during the holidays, you know, law enforcement is increasing, they're looking out for DUIs, you have roadside safety checks, now you also have to worry about other motorists 
you know, kind of calling you into whatever organization they want to call you into who will then notify the police. Um, so it's just really important to be careful, um, to always be careful. It's so much cheaper to just call a cab or take public transportation or if you're close enough, just walk. Um, rather than have to hire an attorney, pay your impound fees, um, pay your court costs, you know, all the other things that go along with the DUI arrest. Um, it's really just safer and better in the long run not to have to deal with any of that. Yeah, certainly. Um, do you know? Yeah, I wonder if three one one or do you know? Do you, let's say we're dry, you're, you're out there and you do see someone who's impaired who really does need to be off the road. Um, what do you do then? I think in the city of Chicago, probably three one one would be the uh-huh. best bet. Um, and then from there, I guess maybe just calling the local police department. Obviously, you don't you don't necessarily want to call nine one one, but we do have cases where it's been a nine one one kind of tipster situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, one real quick thing before we run out of time here. What about drive-through windows? I know in other um, other places that people at McDonald's, for example, have called the police on uh, visibly impaired motorists. Um, again, it kind of depends on how the case flushes out from there. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of case law that talks about, you know, tipsters and whether or not that's a reliable source. A lot yeah. of it has to do with how they describe the vehicle and how they describe the person driving the vehicle. So if they're, you know, not very specific in their description or the person isn't found very close to where they were just observed, then you may have a basis to fight the case. Yeah. But yeah. if the person pulls through the drive through pulls out of the parking lot and parks on the street and eats their quarter pounder, and then the police approach them based on the tip, they fall out of the car, they fail the field sobriety test, then it probably doesn't matter too much how the police got to the car as much as what they found when they got to the car. Um, one last thing. If, so, if a police asks to search your vehicle, do you give consent or do you not give consent? Um, typically, I would not give consent. Um, you know, a lot of that depends on what you have in your vehicle. Um, but being a defense attorney, I just very rarely want to give the police any more control over my things than they already have. Right. Um, but if you're arrested for a DUI or even if you're arrested for a driving on suspended license, any Class A misdemeanor, they have the right to search the vehicle um, as a search incident to arrest. So if you're going to be arrested, you really don't have too much of a say in it. Um, if it's prior to being arrested, then, you know, my kind of go-to answer is why let them go on a fishing expedition when they really don't have a reason to. Exactly, exactly. Sarah Manning, thank you for your time. Can we get a website and phone number again? Sure. Uh, www.duichicago.com, and the phone number is 312-739-0500. All right. Sarah, I want to thank you for your time this evening. Thank you, Nick. All right, and I also want to thank all of our listeners out there who turned in loyal, loyalty and listened to our Law Talk Radio episodes brought to you by ProServe Public Relations. We want to let you know that our, programmed, our, our episodes are programmed to entertain as well as bring our legal industry professionals, consumers, and guests the tips, tools, and news they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers. With guests and listeners located from coast to coast, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine for Law Talk Radio, and as always, I thank you for your time.